0: Hello everyone. Welcome to the Warrior Project podcast. My name is Emmeline. I'm a growth and development mentor, a mental health consultant, and a little bit of a hippie. I'm basically here to teach you everything that society doesn't. Mind, body, soul, it's all connected. So buckle up and get ready to have your mind expanded. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Warrior Project podcast. You're here with me and Megan again. Hello. Um, Just before I press record. Okay. So basically I said to Megan, I said, Megan, I really want us to talk about trauma. And if you listened to the podcast before this one, you would know that um, Megan has two physical disabilities, but she also has a diagnosis of autism and ADHD. And I said to Megan, um, you know, let's chat about trauma and how it manifests in in different people and how it, um, it causes us to develop different dysfunctions and different cycles and patterns. And Megan said that she's noticing that the more podcasts she listens to and the more media she consumes, that ADHD is like a hot topic at the moment. And it's kind of like a, a buzzword along with trauma. Mm-hmm. I um I, Megan and I we didn't come to this realization straight away, but probably halfway into maybe three months into working together, I remember Megan and I had a session. I said to her, Megan, is there a part of you that believes that the disability of autism and ADHD was developed as a result of your childhood trauma? And you said yes, didn't you? Did you say yes? To an extent. To an extent. Okay, you
1: elaborate on that then. So a realisation that I had at the beginning of this week was that autism and ADHD are all in the DSM-5, which is the the psychiatric diagnosis manual. Psychiatric
0: diagnosis manual. So it's
1: the same manual that bipolar, anxiety, depression, eating disorders, they are all diagnosed from. Ah. Now, if any of you have ever filled in forms for any kind of government agency, you'll know that autism is not actually a box that you can tick. Mm. You have to tick psychiatric. Mm. And it wasn't, I think that realization made it pretty clear in my head. I don't necessarily think that autism is a pure result of the trauma. I think that the best way I can describe it is if I actually relate this to the Ellis danlos syndrome. It is genetic. I have had it since birth. And even pre-birth, I was born with it. Um However, there are certain aspects of it and certain comorbidities that I've always been more prone to, but I think the trauma triggered it. Mm. And that mm. from that triggering point is when those comorbidities became symptomatic. It's just laid on to that. It's almost like
0: I I read this quote on Instagram a few weeks ago and it said "Pre-dis." position does not equate to predetermination, so it's almost like so with me in the bipolar it's almost as like because for me it was triggered by by trauma so i sometimes i wonder uh, do, uh, do some of us obviously we all have different genetic makeup but sometimes i wonder if we weren't exposed to the types of trauma that we were exposed to would these things have been triggered and would we be would we be experiencing these symptoms today in the way that we are?
1: Yeah. And I think the argument there is um autism is obviously a spectrum. Mm. And I don't think autism is a direct result of trauma. However, if you look at something like ADHD, I think that it has become something where a lot of people have mm. purely because of the trauma or the adversity or just the things that they've had to learn to cope with over time yeah. and the, the same coping strategies that work, the same ones that work with ADHD. Give us an example. So like um, a common one that I'm seeing through social media is, you know, oh, I can't focus or mm. that type of thing. Well, most people I don't think can attribute ADHD to, you know, their five-year-old self or their three-year-old self. Yep. It's something that they've grown into yeah. And so I think it becomes it becomes a disorder in and of itself yeah and it I, mean, I think it becomes a disorder because of trauma or things you've experienced and you've had to sort of develop those coping strategies yourself.
0: Yeah. You know I, I can go so deep with this sort of stuff because I think about okay. I think about society and culture, and I think about the education system, okay? So the education system is designed to almost encourage some sort of sameness in terms of the teaching methods. I'm got, We're teaching math and science today. This is the way that it's taught. Kids will either absorb it, some will, some won't. The ones that don't absorb it, say, for example, they get constantly distracted. They can't finish tasks. They're labelled.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, that kid must have ADHD or that kid must have some sort of mood disorder or that kid must have this. There's parts of me that believe that society and culture and the constructs that they have created are so fixed in nature that they might be applicable to 50% of the population. What about the other fifty percent that
1: fall through the cracks?
0: That fall through the cracks because they learn in a different way, they absorb things in a different way, they are experiencing different things at home, and that's then manifesting into different compulsive behaviours in other areas of life. Like I think about me, I think about me, and uh, my diagnosis of what what I received years ago. You know, bipolar, borderline personality. Disorder and bulimia. If I look at myself now, and I was saying to Megan during one of our sessions that I manage bipolar without medication. And I said to her, I would be lying if I said that it was easy. And I said to her, There are some days where I wake up and I have this heaviness in my chest and it's very hard to manage and I just have to respond differently in order to manage myself and in order to truly understand myself. And quite often I'll get to the root of it. It might be a lack of self-acceptance. It might be um, of self-judgment, whatever it may be. But I think to myself, is that really like an illness? Like is the bipolar like... (laughs) I feel like the medical industry has created and designed all of these labels and I understand to an extent why it's been done. It's because it helps us develop certain uh, therapies, certain approaches. Um, I'm not anti-medication, so I understand that there are types of medication that have been created that help manage certain symptoms. However, I can't help but also feel that anyone who suffers some sort of social or emotional or mental disorder they're they're slapped with a label or a diagnosis because they're just a little bit different to maybe the majority and that the extent of their quote quote difference and their inability to fit in is not because they're defected or broken or there's something wrong with them it could just be something as simple as they've endured a lot of childhood trauma that's gone so many years unrecognized and not dealt with and they had to develop coping mechanisms to survive and now that they have survived they don't know how to put those coping mechanisms down and feel safe enough to live in a different way.
1: So there's three points to that that I sort of thought of. Mm. One being for me, with my childhood trauma, school is my escape. Mm. So I was almost a straight-A student. I almost hyper-fixated on school because that's how I could get away from home. Yeah, right. And then the other thing was, so I didn't receive my official autism diagnosis until i was 15 or 16 years old yeah um and that is because i was actually given the choice at 13 as to whether or not i wanted the official label on you know my record um and i didn't because at that point in time i was being bullied and i didn't want Mm -hmm. the bullies to have any other ammo to use against me Mm. um but i think that the diagnosis didn't change except in a positive way Cause the diagnosis allowed me to access therapy. Mm. The diagnosis allowed me to access services that without it, I wouldn't have never have had and resources that are specific
0: to your particular situation.
1: Yeah. But I think that it's not always necessary to have that diagnosis, especially now, I think in the world we live in and everything being so accessible, Mm. because you know, back then, so at first the NDS didn't exist. No, um, you know, everything was private unless you want to wait years on the public system. Um, just to um, just define for
0: everyone what the NDIS is and what its primary function is.
1: So the NDIS is the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Um, it's basically a national scheme that participants can get access to if they are disabled, with some caveats, um, and basically they fund therapy, they fund support workers in order for the disabled person to be able to live and participate in the community to the fullest extent of their ability. Yeah. So Megan seeing me and having
0: sessions with me that's funded by her NDIS plan. So Megan and I developing strategies and tools and techniques that are unique to Megan's specific situation. That is funded by her NDIS plan. And I guess, what was the third thing you were going to say before we continue? Cause you said you had three points. So you're speaking about, so the NDIS didn't exist hmm. five years ago. Um, you're talking about your autism diagnosis. I don't remember. It's gone. Yeah. Um, in, in that light, I don't mind labels purely because of what Megan yeah. said
1: I think they have a purpose yes. when they are needed yes but otherwise I do think people sometimes just get slapped with them
0: yes yes I uh, I wonder though I have a client who she presents with um, a lot of quite a lot of symptoms that are, I I think they're quite extreme and she's had an extremely traumatic childhood. It's a miracle that she actually survived her childhood. And she has, she suffers from a lot of emotional trauma. And she asked me one day, she said, Em, do you think it would be helpful for me to get an official diagnosis of my conditions? I said, absolutely. Absolutely. I said, because... The medical industry has designed these official diagnoses based on symptoms and they've categorized them and they've put them into neat little boxes so that we can potentially understand our diagnosis. And normally there are specific approaches that correlate with that particular diagnosis. So I said to her, you know, there's no use in a GP saying that you're ADHD if you're actually bipolar. which is what happened to me. And And, a lot of people get misdiagnosed. Yeah, all the time, all the time. So she went to this really great clinic. Um, They did extensive testing on her and she's just waiting um, for the results. But while they were in there, they said to her, look, um, because there was a few of them in there, she said that they suggested a few diagnoses, And she also came out and she said to me, she messaged me afterwards. She said, I feel that I have a sense of clarity now about myself. And you know what else she
1: said to me, which I found was really interesting. She said to me, I feel validated. And I once had a friend who um, had cancer Mm. and for two years, she was so sick and they couldn't figure out why. And she said, although receiving a terminal cancer diagnosis is not, you know, good news, she felt so relieved and validated because there was a reason as to what, what and why she was experiencing what she was experiencing yes it's like your suffering
0: is validated yeah because for so long this client of mine said to me that people just thought that she was crazy and that she was a bit dramatic and you know knowing her story and what I know about her I'm mortified to hear that people would just think that she's crazy and that she needs to get over it. I, I was mortified. And I think, that, <clears throat> I think that even though a diagnosis is not necessary to validate your suffering because we all suffer, I think that it can provide you with a sense of clarity and a sense of, okay, there is an imbalance. This is what the imbalance is. Let me access some resources that are specific to this imbalance. Yeah. Um, Because before my diagnosis, I just thought that I was moody. Mm. I didn't, but, but I categorized it as extreme. Like I used to, during my periods of mania, I would spend like thousands of dollars and I like wouldn't be sleeping. So I would be reading books and I would not be sleeping at all during the night. And that could last for one to two weeks and then i would be so depressed and suicidal for like three to four days i wouldn't be able to get out of bed and i used to think to myself i think this is normal but like it wasn't normal and i think receiving my diagnosis it helped me understand a bit more as well
1: gives you that avenue of being able to explore
0: yeah yes yeah and and i guess Now, it's also provided me with a foundation of non-negotiables that I have designed for me and for me, my goal for for me in my life is balance because obviously the nature of having bipolar is you're imbalanced. So if I can focus on, I look at my week, I make sure I have work-life balance. I make sure I have movement and rest balance. I make sure that everything is balanced because when you have bipolar, you're sensitive to anything that might put you out of balance. So I'm very mindful of that. And that's the other thing I was going to say. I think when you have an understanding of a diagnosis and an understanding of your particular emotional environment, it makes you more mindful. Yes.
1: And my biggest pet peeve, um, specifically being at uni, you know, accommodations are made for students with a disability. Um, but my biggest pet peeve is when people say, oh, well, I'm doing this because of my disability. Whereas mm. or they're using the service or they're abusing the use of the service mm. because of their disability, yet their disability, they use they use their disability as an excuse because of that label. Why do you think people do that? Why would someone do that? I think because it gives them excuse. People go, oh, well, oh, that's okay because you're autistic or that's okay because you got bipolar. Mm. Where mm. in reality that action or that, thing might not be okay and it's not okay regardless of what Mm. you know your diagnosis is yes and it allows people to get out of things that normal people wouldn't
0: do you know what I think it is I'll add to that and this is something that I did for years so another potential con of being presented with a diagnosis is you have to be so careful that that diagnosis does not become your identity yeah. so for so long whenever i would lash out at someone or something i'd say oh it's because of my bipolar mm-hmm. i have bipolar so it's almost as if if you have a diagnosis if you attach too much of your sense of self to that diagnosis it then turns into your significance yeah my significance was i'm bipolar my identity was I'm bipolar and something that I had to really decondition within myself was acknowledging that the diagnosis was just actually for me to help me better navigate myself and understand myself. I don't lash out at people now ever. Mm. Like you probably knowing me, you probably wouldn't know. Yeah. No, I wouldn't have. No, you wouldn't know. Um, And I think part of receiving a diagnosis that's connected to your mental health or emotional health or intellectual capacity, I think that there's that the important approach should be, okay, this diagnosis provides me with knowledge and wisdom and more clarity with my approach to myself. Yeah. However, I am not just that. Yeah. And that could be why what you said people are almost – using their disability as an excuse because they see it as their identity, which then gives them a sense of significance.
1: Yeah. And I think also going back to the trauma, especially as ADHD and trauma in general becomes, you know, the hot topic it is, what social media is filled with at the moment, I think people lack an understanding that trauma doesn't have to be this one big event that happened. Yes. It can be a bunch of little things that happened that yep. you might not even be aware of. Because people always go, oh, well, I haven't experienced trauma. Chances are every single person in this world has experienced a form of trauma.
0: Everyone has. I think the way that, um, you know, like growth and development gurus categorise it is trauma with a big T and then with a little T. Yeah. Um, but I think everyone has. Everyone mm-hmm. has endured some form of trauma, even if you don't perceive it as a trauma. Yeah. Because I have some clients that are like, oh, I, I've had a, I had a great childhood. I don't understand why I have this. And I'm, and I'm the same. I'm like, I had a great childhood. And this is something I actually spoke about on my Instagram story a few days ago is, and I don't know if it still happens now, but 10 years ago when I was admitted into my first private mental health clinic, the main question I was asked is, was I sexually abused as a child? Yeah, same. Or mentally abused uh, or some form of abuse. And I was like, no. So once that's ruled out, they're like, oh, okay, well, it's probably just a general sense of dissatisfaction.
1: Even way. then, I mean, even five years ago, the main question was have you ever been sexually abused? They, and, they, they, you know, they don't even recognise the other bits of
0: mm. the other
1: different ways you can be abused. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true as well. I mean, think of your mandatory reporting. Healthcare professionals, lawyers, all of those people who are emergency personnel in a way Have mandatory reporting rights those reporting rights only are for sexual abuse they don't incur they don't include mandatory reporting for any other type of abuse see i didn't know that Mm -hmm. i didn't know that so you're only mandated to report the abuse of a child if it's sexual i can't believe that Mm -hmm. See, that
0: blows my mind because obviously I do have um, a lot of clients that have suffered from sexual abuse as children. But then I also have a substantial amount of clients that suffered
1: from verbal abuse from parents, physical abuse. And Um, I never understood why the people who knew about my childhood abuse didn't action it until I found found out that they don't have to unless it's sexual. See, I can't believe that.
0: It's almost as if Something that I don't like is when people put certain types of traumas on pedestals. It's all trauma. Like, you know, I didn't experience any abuse at home, but I experienced kids picking on me at school because I was fat Mm -hmm. and I experienced being put at the back all the time at dancing and without me realising that impacted me because it enhanced the narrative of there's something wrong with me and I'm broken Mm -hmm. and I'm unlovable.
1: And that's still trauma.
0: That's right, and then it manifests in adult life, and then you you spend your whole adult life doing things to try and receive that love that you thought that you weren't worthy of as a child, and then you end up recreating trauma as an adult. Yeah. I think I think that that's why I, I sometimes feel that people are hesitant to reach out. And engage in mental health services is because they think that there are degrees. I mean, there are degrees of trauma, but it's all trauma. Yeah, and I feel like
1: because they don't have an understanding that trauma can look so many different ways. You know, yes. trauma is always associated with sexual abuse or severe physical abuse. Yeah, they think it's their trauma is almost not worthy enough or not bad enough to seek to be services. acknowledged or
0: validated. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I have quite a lot of clients that still feel that like when we discuss their childhood or things that they've experienced I say to them have you validated that yourself like have you actually had a conversation with yourself and said you know I'm so proud of you for moving through that or I'm so sorry that you felt that and they're like no because it's I don't know I don't really think it's that big and I'm like well it is because the way that you internalized it as a child You internalize it as trauma and I don't know how to express this and you repressed something. That's why, you know, I mean I'm guilty of judging myself sometimes, but I find it very hard to judge people because...
1: You don't know what happened in their life.
0: Yes, and in my opinion, I've said to my mum, I think that every single person I walk past in everyday life, is suffering mm-hmm. has suffered or is currently undergoing some form of work to try and reduce their suffering I and think it can everyone be unconscious is.
1: as well yeah, yeah yeah i think there's a lot of people that don't realize yeah what they're going through mentally that's
0: why i think it still bothers me a bit that there's this stigma around um like men and emotions and talking mm-hmm. about their emotions i mean i understand that you know, we have the masculine and the feminine and it is, there are different definitions of the two. But I mean, I look at my partner and it took him, it's taken him 30 years to undergo some form of mental health resource to help him manage, deal with, acknowledge the plethora of trauma that he has endured. And he has said to me, Though, uh, you know, part of that reason is because he wasn't surrounded by a sufficient support network that encouraged him to seek help. More so for him it was a move on, keep going forward. Mm -hmm. And that culture of move on, keep going forward, on one hand I get it, but on the other hand, no, because you're also saying to yourself, my experiences don't matter. My pain doesn't matter.
1: And I think there's that big thing of, you know, your past is your past, so why look back?
0: Mm. And I
1: don't think people realise how much impact your past can have on your present and future life. Correct. Yes, it happened in the past, and, yes, you don't need to
0: try and change what happened. Yes,
1: because you can't. It happened in the past. Mm. But you need to be able to acknowledge it. I agree. And be able to say, like, yeah, you know, that's part of my story. That's part of the reason I am who I am today.
0: Mm. And I think that also leads into helping yourself understand yourself. You don't have to look back at the past to ruminate on it, to try and change Mm it. The only reason we look back is to acknowledge, to accept, to integrate with the goal of better understanding why you respond the way you do to things today and then when you understand something you can change it yeah. if you don't un- understand or acknowledge something you cannot change it so i think that's important to note too yeah Wow. okay we got that was really good that that went a bit <laughs> off topic but that's all right um thank you for tuning in guys i hope this was helpful um i'll probably have Megan on again because um i think that there's a lot more topics that we can explore together and i find that um Megan has quite a vast knowledge obviously as well, because she's studying law and she just, she's pretty self-aware. So I think she provides a pretty helpful uh, perspective. Um, So thank you so much for tuning in guys. I hope this was helpful and we will see you on the next one.
1: Bye.